The title of my message this morning is Hope Awakened. And that assumes that hope has been lost and needs to be rekindled and awakened in a person's life. On Friday, we discovered that hope could be lost by a trigger event that allows an individual to slip from that place of confidence and assuredness to a place of insecurity and vulnerability and quickly slide into a state of hopelessness. Have you ever lost hope? Are you here today? And hopelessness has gripped your heart. And I tell you this morning, you are in the right place. For it has been said that a man can live 40 days without food, three days without water, eight minutes without air, but only one second without hope. Are you here today struggling? Have you become discouraged in life? Has this day, like many days in the calendar, become an iconic day that you allow yourself to remember the annual events of each and every year of your life, and you realize today you're still not where you desire to be? Maybe you're hoping to be married by this time, and you are still single Or you're hoping that your marriage would be strong, but in fact it continues to unravel. And for some, it might have even fallen apart. Maybe you hoped that your business at this time would have been launched and been a success, but it has just gone belly up. You're hoping that maybe your ministry would take off, but it didn't. Or perhaps you face a tragedy that you didn't expect and anticipate. You lost a loved one, perhaps unexpectedly. Maybe it was an unexpected illness that has now taken over your life. You've had great health your entire life for so many years, but this year it has failed. You always bragged in how fit and fiddle you were, but in actuality now you find that your health has fallen apart and hopelessness has gripped your heart. If you are here today and struggling with hopelessness, you're not alone. So many in America today are struggling with hopelessness. They are looking and groping for answers. They are looking to find hope in any place possible and seeking to find it. When asked this week what hope was, many said that it is simply an optimistic attitude towards life. But that's incomplete. Hope cannot be just open-ended in such a way. It must be based upon something that is able to change and secure the future before you. One wrote this, Hope is an optimistic attitude of mind based on an expectation of positive outcomes related to events and circumstances in one's life or at the world in large. Meaning, something must give you that hope. Friday, we learned that hopelessness is first launched by a trigger, an event that takes place, that takes a person back, gives them a moment of pause, moves them from their place of security to insecurity. It's a significant event. It's something that grabs their attention, something that they did not anticipate occurring. 
requiring them to revisit and to rethink things that they often took for granted. And then we discovered on Friday that there are steps to this position of hopelessness that can be avoided if we so choose to do. But many walk down those steps and find themselves in a place of hopelessness. And again, you're not alone. A recent article in the Chicago Tribune stated that more Americans now than ever before are becoming more skeptical of the hope of a better tomorrow here in our nation. In a recent poll taken, found that 76% of people stated that their hope is fading. As a result, we see more individuals struggling with depression and despair than ever before, and doctors now are convinced that hopelessness is the seed of the symptoms of despair and depression. I read an article recently about young people between 10 and 14 years old that are taking their lives at epidemic proportions so dramatically more so than the 1980s that even the Centers of Disease Control has taken notice. In our inner cities, we find a hopelessness gripping the people's hearts from those 30 years and younger due to lack of jobs, broken families, no future. And we find this manifested in sarcastic indifference. We find this in individuals who have no motivation to move forward in life. Even people that you wouldn't have anticipated struggling with hopelessness, who seem to have it all, have recently come out to state that they are hurting themselves. Angelia Jolie wrote, and I should say, said this to a reporter. I didn't really want to live, she said. So anything that was invested in time made me angry. But also I felt sad. When the hopelessness is hurting you, the fixtures and fittings, it is those that finish you off. What she was saying was this. She had it. Fame, fortune. She had everything that an American would want to have, and yet she found herself struggling with hopelessness. Hope is fading for many because they have put their faith and hope in something that cannot support their weight. Be it money or relationships, the government, academics, science, even themselves, they find that that cannot support the hope that is necessary to move forward. So they discover that they are in a state of hopelessness, like so many today. This morning I bring you to a passage of scripture where we discover that two individuals simply walking on a road, leaving Jerusalem, heading towards a village named Aramaeus, they are on this road, they are discussing certain events that had taken place, and in verse 21 of our text, if you look there with me, chapter 24 of Luke's gospel, verse 21, speaking to an individual that they did not recognize, but the text tells us clearly it was Jesus They were saying, but we hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Past tense. These individuals allowed the events that have just recently occurred to trigger their hopelessness. And Friday we discovered they took six steps that solidified that hopelessness in their lives. This morning we're going to look at the exact same passage and we're going to now work back to the hope that God desires us to have in Him. 
We're going to show and demonstrate from this exact same passage of scriptures steps that you can take in your life that will allow you to regain and to rekindle that hope that God desires you to have. Let's begin by reading our text together this morning. Now that very day, verse 13, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, slow in heart to believe, all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to a village to which they were going, and he acted as if he was going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them, and when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened the scriptures? And they arose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told them what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let's pray. Father, on this day of all days, as the world takes a moment of pause to remember an event that took place over 2,000 years ago, that many have tried to explain away Many have tried to give alternate reasons and answers for. And yet the tomb is still empty. And this day is still celebrated and remembered. And the gospel in which it has created still continues to change people's lives each and every single day. Father, Jesus isn't dead. He rose again and is alive and at your right hand. 
So we thank you for the truth of the resurrection and the hope that it brings to all of us. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I love when Jesus says to them, what things, in verse 19. Are you the only one who hasn't heard of what is happening and has taken place in Jerusalem? Remember who they're talking to. It's hysterical. Uh, me remember? <laughs> I was there. I lived it. What things? Well, just a week earlier, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey to the hails of Hosanna as palm branches were being laid before the feet of the donkey in which he rode upon. He then confronted the corrupt religious leaders by cleaning out the temple there in Jerusalem, turning over the tables and, and throwing down the money changers. He was then betrayed by one of his own and arrested and taken at night. He was then tried by the religious leaders, Herod, Rome, and no fault could be found in him. He was then whipped and beaten. He was then brought before the people and they cried out for a criminal named Barabbas. He then took and carried his cross through the Via Dolorosa there in Jerusalem, and he was nailed to it between two thieves as darkness engulfed the entire area. In his last three words, he cried out, It is finished, bowed his head, and dismissed his spirit, and on the third day, the tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. Rumors were swirling. For the believers in Christ, his disciples were saying he rose again on the third day, hearkened and hailed by angels who preceded him. But the religious leaders began to throw rumors that the disciples themselves had stolen the body. These are the events. This was the trigger. The trigger was for these two individuals that the last time they saw their beloved Savior, he was in agony hanging from a cross, watching the darkness engulf the land, seeing what was taking place. And they begin to walk away, discouraged, downtrodden, disheartened. And they begin to... Con discuss and to think and to reason amongst themselves to discover what has just taken place and how they should process what they had just seen. And this leads to this encounter. This morning in our text, there are six things that we are going to discover that will allow us to be raised out of that pit of hopelessness, that will encourage your heart that will allow God to move in your life in a way that He can take you out of that pit of despair. And I tell you this morning that it is Him and only Him that can deal with the hopelessness of our hearts. The first thing that we discover is in verse 15. I find it fascinating that Jesus chooses to appear to these two individuals. Why, Pastor? Why do you find that so interesting? Well, without any... Embarrassment, I say they are nobodies. Uh, they weren't anybody important in that society. They, they weren't anybody of known stature. Uh, it's not like he was appearing to the religious leaders in Jerusalem who condemned him. Can you imagine that? If he were to have appeared in the middle of that, the Sanhedrin or the Pharisees, and, think, and then just thinking, 
You can't keep a good man down, let alone keep the God man down. Or what about King Herod? When he was presented to King Herod, King Herod wanted him to entertain him. He said, do a miracle for me. Do something to show that you are exactly who you say you are. And Jesus would not appease him. There was no way that Jesus was going to entertain this man in that way. Can you imagine him standing before Herod? You wanted to see a miracle? Check this out. Or what about Pilate? The man who had him tried and condemned by the people who washed his hands and said, I'm innocent. Jesus standing before Pilate, he could have said, you cannot wash your hands of me. You are not innocent of what has just taken place. Or what about Caesar himself? One who claimed to be a deity at that time. He claimed to be God. I could just see Jesus standing before Caesar. You think that you are a God, but I tell you that in years to come, all you're going to be remembered for is a salad. That's it. And yet it's today that the world pauses to celebrate the resurrection of a carpenter from Nazareth. But he appears to two ordinary people. Two individuals who put their faith and trust in him. He meets with them. That's our first point. God is, cares about ordinary people like you and I. He cares for us. We are not below his radar. Even though we might not be anyone here in this world or in this culture, in his eyes, he cares for us dearly. And the second point is to know that even though we don't know it, God is with us always. He joined himself to these two people on the road. They didn't see him for who he was, for God kept that back from them. But he was with them. Even though they were going the wrong way, they should have stayed in Jerusalem. They should have stayed with the other disciples. They were heading the wrong way. God was still with them. Even though their minds were filled with doubt, God was still with them at this moment. You know, often we allow our feelings to dictate truth to us. There are times where we feel close to God and that God is near to us. And there are other times that we feel far from God. We allow our feelings to dictate the truth. In actuality, God is always with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. That's the reality. And it's so important that at that moment you don't allow feeling to dictate truth, but you allow your faith that is based on fact to dictate the truth to you. So our first two points this morning is, number one, God cares about ordinary people like you and I. Number two, even though we don't understand or we don't know it, God is with us always. And number three, God is fully aware of what is happening with us and around us. Look with me in verse 17. As we go back to our text in verse 17. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And then one of them named Cleopas answered, 
Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? And he goes on to answer concerning him, Jesus of Nazareth. Did Jesus know before he asked this question? Yes. God knows exactly what you are going through. He knows what you are experiencing. He knows what you are facing. He knows what you are struggling with. And he tells us that even before we pray, God knows what we are in need of before we ask. Secondly, he he has every hair on our head numbered. Some of us, that's not too big of a deal. But for others, it's a huge deal. He has every tear we ever shed kept in a bottle. In Isaiah 43, 2, he says this, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. I am there with you. I know what you are going through. He asked them this question because he wanted their perspective on what they had just seen and witnessed, leading them to a place of faith rather than faulting. And number four, God asks us to place our trust in him in those times. When we are hopeless, it is at those moments that we are the most vulnerable. It's at those moments that our faith is often shaken and our trust is weakened. It's at those moments that we need to embrace Christ. Look at with me in verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Number four, we must place our trust in Christ. I understand that for many it is hard to trust anybody nowadays. It's hard to trust people because you feel like people have let you down. Consistently. Constantly. Some even take that to God and say, God, you've let me down, so I don't know if I can trust you. But often when I talk with those individuals, it's because they've attached their wants to God rather than their needs. They wanted something from God, and God said no, and said, God, therefore I can't trust you. They wanted God to do something, to change their circumstances, and he didn't. And they said, God, I can't trust you. But God wants us to trust him in all ways. And the Proverbs writes, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Number four, we must trust God to get out of this pit of hopelessness. Number five is one that is so important for you and I to remember and to recall at the times when we are hopeless. This is so true of so many people, and we find this true in verses 25 through 27. The disciples knew what was true, and yet at the moment that their faith was shaken, their trust was weakened, at the moment they slipped into hopelessness, they quickly abandoned those things that they knew to be true and began to embrace things that they were unsure of. We do the exact same thing today. 
I have met many people who have testimonies that allow uh, for an individual to know that God has worked in their life over and over and over and over again. But then when they get into great difficulties, they forget those experiences. They seem to just let them go. Because they feel that now what's facing them is much greater than anything that they've faced in the past that God has seen them through. When in actuality, all God was doing was preparing them by allowing them to see that He could work in the small areas of life to allow them to trust Him when difficult times truly arose. We must not abandon those things we know to be true and adopt those things that we don't know to be true in our times of hopelessness. Often the uncertainty of our circumstances lead us to trust what we do not know to be true. Look at what he says to them in verses 25 through 27. You are so so slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? You knew better. I told you beforehand that these things were going to occur. It shouldn't have shocked you when you saw me on the cross the way you did, but it had. It had shaken them to the core. But he brings them back to the word of God. When we are going through difficulties and hopelessness has gripped our hearts, we must go back to the word of God to find our support, to find our comfort, to find those promises that have been made to you to see you through those difficult times. One wrote this, but what did Jesus do to restore their hope? What did Jesus do to rekindle their hearts? He took them to the Scriptures. He took them to the Scriptures. He opened God's Word to them and explained it. And that is where you'll find hope being rekindled. For Paul wrote in Romans 15.4, These things were written for our learning. What things? The things of the Word of God that we through patience and the comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. That's the assurance that we have. What things were written in the Old Testament that would have allowed for them to know that the servant of God, the Messiah, must first come and suffer? Let me read these words out of the prophet Isaiah to you that were written hundreds of years before the event that would have prepared his people for the events that took place there in Jerusalem and the suffering of the servant of God. Listen to these words with me. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we have streamed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. 
And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off off the land out of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him as he put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offering, he shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By the knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, as he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many." He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressor. That passage alone should have informed them that the Messiah needed to suffer before he could be glorified. Today, many Christians like the world in general have abandoned the reading of the Bible. It has been said in a recent poll taken in USA Today, the USA Today did a poll among the readers and found that 93% of Americans own at least one Bible. But of that 93%, only 55 say that they ever read it. And only 25 said that they did so every day. We have God's Word in our lap. Our world is continuously trying to remove it from our lap, and yet it remains. And within its pages, God is telling you, His creation, what He has done for you that you may have hope. Putting our hope and faith in Jesus Christ is solidified for all eternity. It is something that cannot be moved and shaken by the circumstances of life. It is something that guides us in the darkest hours of our life. It is something that we hold to. It is something that we cling to in those times of desperation. And it is not something that should ever be abandoned or let go of. And I know that when hopelessness grips a person's hearts, emotions take over. And those emotions want to lead us in almost every direction except the right one. It is at those times that we must cling to the Word of God and those things that we know to be true instead of abandoning those for those things that we know not to be true. And that's what he was encouraging these individuals to do. They knew, but they would not believe. And as our account continues, we discover that after Jesus appears to them, in the breaking of the bread at a time when they would have remembered Jesus himself breaking the bread and instituting the Last Supper, he would understand and they would understand who he was, and then he vanished. But notice what they did next. And this is the sixth step to return from hopelessness. Once we understand that God cares about ordinary people, once we understand that God knows what we are going through and is fully aware of our circumstance, once we know that God is with us and once we place our faith and trust in God and we remember those things that are true, we must make a move back to God. We must come back. 
And notice with me in verse 33, they turned and went back to Jerusalem. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, that was the eleven apostles, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. It has now been confirmed. They needed to come home. So often when we find ourselves being led down the path to hopelessness, the very first thing that we want to do is alienate and isolate ourselves from everybody else. It is one of the mistakes that is so often made. It's a mistake they made in verse 13 as they were walking away from Jerusalem, walking away from the disciples rather than walking to Jerusalem and staying with the other disciples. You know as well as I do that there are those individuals that only occupy church twice a year, if that. Christmas and Easter. So many who are discouraged will often tell me after months of not seeing them that they just couldn't come back. They felt unworthy. They felt condemned. They felt that God wouldn't accept them, that God wouldn't uh, uh, forgive them for what they have done, the doubt that they have expressed in their isolation from the body of Christ. It is so far from the truth. It is so far from the truth. We must come back to be where God would want you to be. As one wrote very simply, let me tell you something he said. When you are hurting, when you are down, when you have failed spiritually, it is not time to walk away from the cross, but to run towards it. And that's what we want to give you to the opportunity to do this morning, is to come back to God. If you've struggled in your heart, if you are in a state of hopelessness, if you've attached your hope to something that you now see cannot support your weight, we want to show you that all who can is Christ, and He alone. You and I must acknowledge that. Today, one out of four Americans identify themselves as either an atheist or an agnostic. One who adamantly believes that God does not exist, or one who simply doesn't know if God exists. And they say they don't know if they can trust the Bible to be true. They'll often say the Bible is full of contradictions. And when I get that question, and I get it a lot, I ask them to show me where those contradictions are. 28 years later, I've never had one person be able to show me a legitimate contradiction in the Bible. Secondly, they say, well, we don't know if we can go back to church. They don't know if church is for them anymore because they're worried the church is all about money. They're worried the church is all about performing to man's rules rather than to God's rules. They don't want anything to do with organized religion. I tell you here very clearly this morning, it is not organized religion that we are offering you this morning. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with us. It has to do all with him. And lastly, they say that they don't know or they don't believe God exists at all because the world around them says so. As a Christian, we have an adversary. The adversary is real. And that adversary is known as the ruler of this world, and undoubtedly he would want people to believe that God does not exist. But I tell you that God is alive. God is not dead. 
He is working, he is moving, and he continues what he started 2,000 years ago. And all that the world has tried to do to stop or to hinder that has failed. And today, in this year, we still remember this day, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The tomb is empty. The hope that we may have lost or placed in something that could not support our weight, Christ is saying, come to me. I am the only one that you can truly place your hope in and know that your hope is guaranteed for all eternity. This morning as we close our service, we are going to take communion together as a church. It is a time where we remember the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It is this moment that we acknowledge our belief and faith in Jesus Christ. Communion is for the believer in Jesus Christ, and that's why we're going to give you the opportunity to come to Christ right now. I don't know where you stand with God, but it's not important that I do. God knows exactly where you are at with Him. And maybe you feel distant from God this morning. Maybe you feel that life has taken you and drifted you away from God, this morning is a perfect time to come back. But I don't know what to expect. I don't know what God's going to do. I don't know how He's going to react. Do you know He tells us? He tells us that He's a father waiting for His son to come home, His daughter to come home. He's waiting in anticipation, looking out the window of the home, day in and day out, waiting for His child to come home. And before that child can even come home, the father runs to that child, embraces that child. God runs to you. He embraces you and restores you. That's what you can expect from God. But pastor, you don't know what I've done. If you knew what I have done, you probably wouldn't even have let me in the church. It's probably better that I don't know what you have done. And it's probably better that you don't know what the person next to you has done. But God knows everything. And there isn't anything God cannot forgive. There isn't anything God cannot heal. There isn't anything God cannot change. Nothing. If you'll come to Him. If you will repent of your sin and believe and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there is nothing He cannot deal with. There is nothing that He cannot mend. There is nothing that He cannot fix. There is nothing that He cannot restore. Let's pray together. Father, on this day, the day that we remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we pray that hope would would be awakened within us. Maybe we are struggling ourselves. We feel discouraged and downtrodden. Just beat up, Lord. Things haven't gone the way we expected them to go, Lord. Uh, Lord, we had it all mapped out, but life got in the way. Difficulties and troubles came along. Didn't go the way we thought it was going to go, Lord. I've allowed my circumstances to move me away from you, Lord, so I ask now if I may come back. I put my hope in things that I shouldn't have, Lord, and cannot support my weight. So, Lord, I want to come back. Now that I know you care about me, an ordinary person, and that you're always with me and you know what I'm going through, You asked me to trust you, Lord, and to remember those things that you've promised me in Scripture. Lord, I want to come back, Lord. 
come back. Father, I've never known you. My sin, Lord, keeps me from you. Father, I see now my need for a Savior, and that Savior can only be found in Christ. He paid a penalty for me that I could not pay for myself. His death was my death. Father, forgive me. Cleanse me of my sin. Wash me. Clean me, Lord. Restore me. Father, I put my faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. I do this this day that I may come to you and that you may forgive me and heal me and restore me to the person you desired me to be. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Father, as we come to you this morning as a church family, and we thank you for this resurrection day, this beautiful spring morning, as life begins again. The cold, hard winter is over. New life is beginning. Never again will Jesus have to see and suffer the cross. Never again will he be rejected in physical form and bound and tortured and mocked and ridiculed. Never again, for he's risen and he is alive and at the right hand of the Father. And all things are being made subjection to him. It is him who is restoring lives. It is him who is changing lives. It is the Holy Spirit that is working majestically and moving magnificently, bringing people back to you. It is this that we desire this day, Lord. As we climb out of the pit of hopelessness, on the rungs of your promises and your love and your trust and your character, Lord. And we do this and we come to you and we ask this now in Jesus' name, amen.